I am a Reformed confessional Baptist. The further I go, the more confessional I get. Uh, and I guess in some ways the more Baptist I get uh, and the more Reformed I get. Uh, and I'm going to be, we're going to be preaching uh, concerning the Holy Spirit. Uh, so let me go ahead and just say something here. And uh, may not mean anything to some of you, but it might uh, mean something to somebody else. I am a convinced and still convinced cessationist of the Jonathan Edwards brand. Uh, us cessationists get accused of following Brother Warfield, but I never read his works on cessationism, but I've certainly read Edwards. Uh, hopefully as we go through the message, you'll understand why I may have said that. Uh, I'm not a new Calvinist. I'm an old Calvinist. I'm getting older every day. Uh, that's becoming apparent uh, with all my aches and pains that I have. Uh, so anyway, that gives you a little bit of an idea uh, um, about myself. All right, our text will be Luke 11 and verse 13. Here in a minute we'll read it in its context. But Luke 11:13, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Uh, of course, this text is in the middle of the, one of the gospel accounts, which for the most part is an account of our Lord's ministry uh, while upon this earth uh, before he was crucified. Of course, it has the account in the gospels of his crucifixion. But a great part of the gospels, and this holds true for Luke, is our Lord's ministry as he went about uh, ministering. I find it interesting that uh, there are a number of places before you get at the very beginning of our Lord's ministry that talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Luke 3, at his baptism, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. Uh, in Luke 4, after the temptation in the wilderness, uh, no, before the temptation in the wilderness, uh, after the baptism, it says, being full of the Holy Ghost, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then, coming out of the wilderness, again in Luke 4, it says he returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. He came to Nazareth, and as his custom was, he went and picked up uh, and opened to the book of Isaiah and read from Isaiah... The following, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And uh, that's what he began to do. Again, uh, in the end of Luke 4, it says, uh, the sun was setting. All they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him, and he had laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, 
And then he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. So this is a little bit of a context before we get to our, our text in chapter 11. Uh, from chapter 4 to chapter 11, Luke records the Lord teaching, preaching, healing, casting out devils. And then we come to chapter 11, and I want to read the first 13 verses to put our, verse, our text, verse 13, in, in its immediate context. So beginning with Luke 11, verse 1, And it came to pass that he was praying in a certain place, it's our Lord, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him, and notice he's still teaching on prayer. Shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend... Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And in, in Matthew's account of this particular teaching, uh, he says, How much more shall your heavenly Father, shall your Father which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? But here he says, Give the Holy Spirit. Uh, the end of uh, chapter 11, af after this, he, he cast out a devil and he does a, does a discourse on, on that particular issue of, of Satan. And uh, then he addresses those that would seek a sign. And he says it's an evil generation that seeks a sign. And he addresses the, the evil generation uh, that were sign seekers, especially speaking to uh, the Jews of that day and then he closes chapter 11 with rebuking the Pharisees I also find it interesting that Luke closes his gospel account with the promise of the Spirit's coming and in the instructions for the disciples to wait for such and then a brief account of our Lord's ascension we know that Luke also wrote the book of Acts and he begins the book of Acts with those same two basic uh, subjects, the ascension of our Lord and the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. All right, praying for the Holy Spirit. 
I've got five points, and the first three I'm just gonna I'm just gonna touch on. Okay, the last two are what I want to make sure I try to get to and and uh, focus on. But my first point is who to pray to for the Spirit. Who do we pray to? Our Lord basically instructs us to pray for the Spirit, but who should we pray to? Secondly, who should pray for the Spirit? Who is it that should pray for the Spirit? Thirdly, when should someone pray for the Spirit? And then fourthly, and this will be one of the points I want to focus on, why pray for the Spirit? And then finally, how to pray for the Spirit? So real briefly, the first three points. Who should we pray? Well, it's in our text. When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. Goes on. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And as, as those that have, uh, are familiar with the scripture, we are primarily taught to pray to the Father, and that would include praying for the Spirit, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. But, with that said, I believe there's plenty of reason in the Scripture that there are times and occasions that we pray to the Son. And hopefully we'll see some of that as we go on, uh, His particular place in regard to the giving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So hopefully we'll, we'll touch on that. I'm, I'm not sure I'll draw attention to it. Secondly, who is it that should pray for the Spirit? Again in our text, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. Our Lord then said, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, with the implication being that the children of the Father are asking, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And again, we, we pray to the Father, but it's primarily speaking, believers which would include corporate believers, churches, are to pray for the Spirit. We don't ordinarily instruct unconverted men to pray for the Spirit, okay? We, we, don't, we, we instruct them to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't uh, necessarily primarily instruct them to pray for the Spirit. So we're talking about believers, churches, should pray for the Spirit. Let me go ahead and say something here. I'm a, I am a Reformed Baptist, and, and uh, I'll just say something. I'll, I'll, I'll plug my association. I've been in the ministry for 45 years, and I've been around a lot of preachers. And some, some wonderful men and some real rascals. And um, uh, preachers have big egos. Lord, help us. Uh, we do. And um, well, I'll say one thing about the, the Texas Area Association of Reformed Baptist Churches. Uh, they, uh, they're not big into the ego thing. It's been, they, some of the more blessed men uh, that I have uh, in 45 years run into. Uh, I do think one of the things that holds down their ego a little bit is the confession rules along with the scripture. Okay? I know the scripture rules first and foremost. But, you know, 
uh, it's not, not one big dog can just go take the association wherever he wants to because we're moored not only by the word of God, but we're moored by the confession. But anyway, I don't want to get off into that. Um, my point was this. I'm very reformed. More reformed than Baptist, to tell you the truth. But I am Baptist. And I've been running with a lot of reformed brothers and meeting with them. And brothers, I can't think of one time that I heard a Reformed brother pray for the Holy Spirit. And that to me is just amazing. Uh, believers should pray for the Spirit. When? When? Well, when you need Him. Okay? And I hope to show that we need Him. And we need Him all the time. Oh, yeah, there's sometimes we need him more, but we need him all the time. That's when you ought to pray for the Spirit. Which brings me to my third, uh, fourth point, uh, which I want to focus on along with the next point. Why pray for the Spirit? A significant part of what our Lord is teaching on prayer here is that whatever we need, whatever we need... Whatever good things, beneficial things, needful things that we need, we should ask for them in prayer. You got any needs tonight? Uh, I, I, my, my wife is battling leukemia and has been for a year. And I want to tell you, she's, she needs a lot of things. I pray for them, okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, nobody has to encourage me to pray for them. Okay, I feel the need, all right? This is, this is a lot of what we read here. This is a lot of what our Lord is saying. You've got a need, pray. Pray for what you need, for that which is beneficial, helpful, needful, good things. We should pray for them. In our text here in Luke, our Lord is telling us that the Holy Spirit is the most needful thing, and I use that reverently, that we can pray for. Okay? That's, that's the import of this particular verse. It really almost, it, it, it almost seems like it doesn't fit. You know, all of a sudden he's talking about praying and asking, and, and the idea is, you, you know, you need good things. You know, you're going to ask your father for a good thing. He's not going to give you a bad thing. And then pray for the Holy Spirit. Well, what is he telling us here? He is telling us that the best and most beneficial thing that there is and that we can and indeed should pray for is the Holy Spirit. Greek and New Testament commentator A.T. Robertson commenting on this verse said this, and I quote, The Holy Spirit, as the great gift, and then he uses a Latin phrase, and I'll probably mispronounce it, summon bonum. What it means is the supreme or highest good. So that's what our Lord is telling us here, that the Holy Spirit is the thing we should pray for more than anything else. 
So why should we pray for the Holy Spirit? He's, he's, he's needful. He's the most needful thing we can pray for. I understand he's a person. And he told us the way to obtain him and his ministry, his influences, if you please, his help. The way we get the Holy Spirit's help is we pray for him. That's what he's saying. To them, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to who? To them that ask him. Of course, the implication is you don't ask, you're not going to get. But I want to go a little deeper into why pray for the Spirit. I want to look at the issue of why do we need the Holy Spirit. And uh, we'll just touch on a few things. We could, we could uh, spend a lot of time answering that question. Number one, you cannot pray aright without the Holy Spirit. These followers of Christ initiated this discourse on prayer because they were evidently impressed with our Lord's praying. It was characteristic of our Lord as he went about his ministry to withdraw and to pray. They were impressed, of course, with his life, his teaching, his miracles, his works. And I believe they were impressed with his praying. Prayer was a big part of our Lord's life here on earth. And prayer was a big part of the apostles. And of all the great men of God and women of God that we've read of down through the years, and all of the Old Testament men and women, all the new and everyone since then, we all know that have read much that prayer has always been a great part of believers' lives, especially those that we see really walked with God and were used of God. Indeed, you cannot live the Christian life without prayer. And you cannot pray aright without the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of prayer. Zechariah calls him the spirit of grace and supplications. Paul says in Ephesians, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And then in Jude, it says... But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. All true prayer comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, without going into a the only reason I want to mention this, I don't want to spend much time here, but is because I've, I've had this question. And then I've had a lot of people who have asked me this question. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? What does that mean? Well, let me give you a couple of suggestions. It's not an exhaustive teaching, but I think, I think these two things are true. It's praying according to the Word of God. Okay? Praying in the truth. And it's praying with the mind and the heart. Listen to, listen to what describes our Lord's praying in Hebrews. Offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears. And then in James, speaking of 
Elijah, he says, uh, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly. Okay? I believe that that is at least somewhat of what praying in the Spirit is. It's, it's heartfelt prayer. It's, it's wholehearted prayer. And I, I'm afraid that um, apart from the Holy Spirit, we're not going to have that. And it's not mere emotion, but it certainly has involves the emotions. I don't know if y'all noticed or not, but we do have emotions. Okay, They are part of us. Without the Holy Spirit, our prayers are mere words, forms, religious repetitions that rise no higher than the ceiling. We might as well read from our prayer book and recite the rosary as to attempt to pray without the Holy Spirit. He is the one who enables us to pray. And so, so there's why we should pray for the Holy Spirit, why we need him. Because we can't pray right, and if we can't pray right, we can't do anything right. You know that every church, you know what a church should be? You know what we need today? We need houses of prayer. Houses of God, where God is. And we're praying, we're really praying. And I don't think we got much of that in our day. Thank God for whatever we do have. But, and it's the Holy Spirit who not only enables the individual believer to pray, but he enables the church to pray. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is the quickener. And without him, we're dead. John 6, verse 63. It is the Spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. What the flesh is, is you and I operating without the Holy Spirit. That's the flesh. And it avails nothing. Nothing of any significance. Nothing that heaven owns. Nothing that truly does man any good. We know that natural men are clueless as well as hostile to Christ as that bunch was in John chapter 6, which I just quoted from. The Holy Spirit quickens us when we are unconverted, utterly dead to God. He regenerates our lost, dead in our sin souls. And he thus enables us to see the kingdom of God and enter into it. John 3, you can't See the kingdom of God, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit will be the one who quickens our mortal bodies at the resurrection. He'll bring life back into our mortal bodies that lay in the ground when he comes back and resurrects his people. But... Let me tell you, he continually and repeatedly quickens us, without which we are for all practical purposes, and I do believe in being practical, I don't believe in being pragmatic, but I believe in being practical, and for all practical purposes, without the quickening of the Holy Spirit, we're dull, slow, and stupid concerning the things of God. Do you not find it so? 
Oh, how much alive we are to the things of this world, to the things of our flesh. But how slow we are. You know, I, maybe, maybe I'm just like that. I don't know. Maybe nobody else is. But, you know, I, I try to go pray every morning. And, uh, man, I, I tell you what. You know, I need another cup of coffee, you know. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm not quite woke, you know, and, and I find myself going, what is wrong with me? Why am I so reluctant to go and pray? And it's because I'm so dull and slow and stupid concerning the things of God, except that the Holy Spirit continually, repeatedly, on a regular basis, quickens me to the things of God. Here's a verse of Scripture that has really come to mean more and more to me. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. We're alive to meat and drink, aren't we? Boy, I tell you what. We got to have breakfast, don't we? We got to have something to eat. If we had the same attitude about the things of God that we've got about meat and drink, we, we'd be in high cotton spiritually, you know, because, boy, we, we got to have something to eat. We got to have something to drink. Pull over. I'm, I'm getting hungry. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy, we're not all that interested in except in and by the Holy Spirit. Our Lord says to not seek what you shall eat or what you shall drink or wherewithal you shall be clothed. He says take no thought, don't be careful about it, don't be anxious about it, don't make it a big deal, don't get so caught up in it. That's what the Gentiles, that's what the people that don't believe in God, don't believe in Christ, don't, don't care about the Word of God, that's what they're all caught up in. Don't do that. Your Father knows you need those things. But seek ye, be careful for, take thought for, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But we will not do that. We will not do that without the Holy Spirit. It's not in us to do it. And, and let me give you a hint. It's not any more in you to do it if you've been saved for 45 years than it was the day you got saved or the day before you got saved. All spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God doesn't give us salvation and then says, oh, now you just go on and just walk in it and, you know, you just claim it and believe it and plug it in and all that. No. You know where our salvation is? Seated on the throne of God. And we'll have no interest in him who's seated on that throne and in those things that he has for us, such as righteousness, peace, and joy except by the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, 
why we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes Christ in His glory known to us and weds our hearts to Christ. Romans talks about being married to another, even to Him who is raised from the dead. Turn to John chapter 16. John 16, another very interesting passage of Scripture. John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. He talks about what he will do with the world. And then in verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father giveth are mine, therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. And then look at this verse. There's a little bit of disagreement on what this means, but I, the context, I think, demands that it mean a particular thing. A little while, verse 16, and you shall see me, and again a little while, and you, sh a little, you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Now, we're not going to take time, but read the rest of that passage, and, and, and you'll see that what he's talking about is not you're going to see me again. He's not talking about the second coming, although certainly that would be true, but he's saying you're going to see me with the eyes of faith. You're going to see me spiritually. You're going to see me in my glory. On my throne. I go to the Father. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, We know no man. From henceforth we know no man after the flesh. Though we have known Christ after the flesh, and he's speaking, he's speaking collectively, of the church, yet now henceforth know we him no more. I believe he clearly he's talking about we know him now in a way that we did not know him. And again, as we go through, I think you'll see that. The Holy Spirit is the one who unites us to Christ. And continues to unite us to Christ. Reveals Christ to us. Causes him to be real to us. Causes our faith, our soul, our heart to lay hold upon him. There's a verse in Acts. And I understand the particular, specific, contextual meaning of this verse, okay? But I believe there's a principle here too. And uh, whether I'm using the verse wrongly for it, I will guarantee you it's biblical principle. It's when Stephen was stoned. And I think it's extremely illustrative of, of the point that I'm making here. Speaking of Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost... He looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God 
and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. That may have been an actual vision, and I'm not trying to say that we uh, need visions or that that's what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you it's the principle. The Holy Spirit takes us to Christ in His glory. And we behold Him in His glory. Over there in Revelation, we have that principle brought out again. In Revelation chapter 4, where, where John was, was told to, to a, a door was opened in heaven, and he was told to come up. And it says, and he beheld, and what he beheld was the throne. And then on in chapter 5, an ongoing part of that same experience, he beheld the Lamb of God upon the throne. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us in his glory. I think an amazing thing is what happened to Peter. He was a coward. And he denied the Lord three times. And then something unbelievable happened to him. I understand that the Lord met him after his resurrection and then basically recommissioned him and restored him there in the what, 20th chapter of John. I understand that. But that's certainly not the, the whole story. In, in the book of Acts, after the Holy Spirit comes... Peter all of a sudden becomes this bold, fearless. If you go and read what he did there, whoo, I mean, that was bold. When he preached, and what did he preach? What was the content? He preached Christ. Crucified, yeah. Risen, yeah. But enthroned. Go read Acts chapter 2. And pay attention to Peter's message there. And it's directing his hearers. Because that's where his mind was directed. That's what he saw there on the day of Pentecost. It's what all of them saw. They beheld the Lord in his glory. They understood. I'm not talking about visions. I'm talking about with the eye of faith. The soul, the heart beheld Christ in his glory. How? Why? What? The Holy Spirit came, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes you to Christ. Be careful about the God in the room. Usually the God in the room ain't our God. Our God, our Savior is on the throne. You know, we talk a lot in, in, in contemporary Christianity, Christ in you. The, the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and who is our Lord, he's not in you. He's not in me. He's seated on throne in the glory. His spirit is within me. Tonight, my wife is in me. I hold her in my heart. I hold her in my heart. But she's not here. She's down there at our home, Palestine. The Holy Spirit doesn't direct you into yourself. He directs you to Christ upon the throne. That's where our salvation is. That's where our help is. That's where the glory is, is on that throne. And it is the Holy Spirit who takes us there. 
This is what seals Christ to our soul. Ephesians chapter 1, in whom you also trusted. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that, or really the Greek is upon believing, upon believing. It's not so much a, a chronological order as it is a sequential order. Upon believing, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And I believe every believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit when they believe. There's that initial sealing, but I believe in multiple sealings because I believe it's an experiential thing that when Christ is sealed to our soul by the Holy Spirit and there's nothing, there is nothing that can take the place of that and I'm convinced there's nothing that can get us through this life and enable us to persevere and live the Christian life except a living Christ sealed to our soul by the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary for the believer's sanctification, which is absolutely necessary. Listen to a passage in Corinthians. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, that we all with open face, and listen to this, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now that's coming in on the heels of what I just said. But notice that our transformation is a result of that. Our sanctification, our being made like Christ, is a result of beholding His glory, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. In Romans, it says, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, how many of y'all, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but how many of y'all struggle with mortifying sin? I do. Boy. How many of y'all have had times when it was easy to mortify sin? Yeah. When God, when God was revealing Christ to me and sealing to my, him to my soul. When the Holy Spirit was working mightily. Oh, you know, I, I, think, I think this church, uh, the, the building, the church that y'all... The other church, Grace Church. I think it's a Wesleyan church, isn't it? That, you know, they still believe. I, I, I looked them up. They still believe in that doctrine of entire sanctification. And I don't, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about that doctrine. Y'all lose using their building. But, but I will say this. I don't believe in that doctrine, but I can understand why some people might have believed it. Just like I can understand why Jonathan Edwards might have been a post-millennialist back in, in the Great Awakening. I can understand why he might have believed that. I'm not sure he'd believe it today, but I, I can understand why he might be post-millennial then. And I can understand when, you know, when God was moving mightily and the Spirit was being poured out, I, I can understand a little bit how, how somebody might think I might not sin again. Mortifying sin's hard. It's downright impossible except when you have grace 
If you get enough grace, it can be downright easy. Not that that happens very often, but it teaches us. In Romans 12, here's another difficult thing. Be not conformed to this world. Wow. Well, that's tough. Molded by this world. Man, I battle with that. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And according to Titus 3 verse 5, the renewing is of the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit of God that renews our mind. And it's the renewing of the mind that keeps us from being conformed to this world. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 real quick. You know, you can't do this, and you shouldn't do this, but if I, if I, if I was going to say, here's, I, this is one passage of Scripture right here is the key to the Christian life. It's the key to, to living successfully the Christian life as, as, as God would have us live. Now, you can't do that, but if I were to do that, that's what I'd say, okay? Here in Colossians chapter 3. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection, set your mind, your heart, on things above, not on things of the earth. For, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore. You see the order there? It's only as we live our life out of heaven before the throne beholding his glory that we're able to mortify our members here on the earth. We, 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 most of us are a bunch of a law people, a bunch of legalists. We're trying to do the, we, we think, well, Lord, the only way I can have communion with you and enjoy your presence and everything is if I mortify sin. So, boy, we set out to mortify sin, and, boy, it just it goes north. I don't like saying south. It goes north from there, you know. Uh, and it uh, goes downhill. Oh, no. We have access to God through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, through our advocate, our mediator, through the Lamb of God. Through our Savior, through His shed blood, we have immediate access to Him. But we're not just to say, well, we, we got access to you today, Lord. Thank you that we've got access. Praise God that we have a Savior. No! We're to use our Savior, if you please, and I say that quite reverently, so that we might enjoy heaven, so that we might experience heaven, so that we might worship God and have communion with God. And be in the presence of God. And only then will we be able to mortify sin. And it's the Holy Spirit that takes our hearts and takes our minds. Yes, he does it through the Word of God. I'm not talking about anything apart from the Word of God. But I want to tell you, you can, you can read that Bible and memorize it and study it and quote it and tote it and everything else. And, and not have communion with God without the Holy Spirit. Fifthly, I just mentioned this, the Holy Spirit enables us to be a good and true witness. Luke 24, the book of Acts, Acts 2, 
And then finally, why? Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot worship God aright. And worship is what it's all about. That's the, that's the end. That is heaven. That's what heaven's going to consist of is worshiping of God. And you cannot worship God. The true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. All right, now finally for my last point. How to pray for the spirit and receive the spirit. First of all, in the context of everything that we call prayer, in the context, here in our text, when you pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Matthew's account, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Folks, we must pray all of our praying and all of our thinking, our mind and heart must be God-centered. This book is about God. The church is about God. Christ is about God. The Holy Spirit is about God. And we live in a day where man has supplanted God. And the, let me tell you, you want, you want, I can tell you today, I'm going to tell you who the Antichrist is, okay? Get ready to write it down. Well, here. Go look in the mirror, and there's the Antichrist. Man! Independent, autonomous, without God, man. And boy, isn't our society full of it? It's just full of it. And it's, what's a shame is you go into the churches and most of the churches are all about man. Their productions and their, their performances and their, their big, big, big shot people. One of the things I like about the Texas Area Association of Reformed Baptist Churches, at least today, we ain't got no big dogs in it. And not no big shots. And not no dominant personalities. There's some different personalities, but none of them dominate. We, we, uh, I, we must be God-centered. Our praying must be God-focused, God-oriented, and God-serving. Secondly, and it's in our text, our praying must be gospel-centered. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that's indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, Deliver us from evil. This is all speaking of the gospel. Our praying, our thinking, including our praying for the Spirit, must be gospel-centered. Our hearts and our minds and our prayers must be oriented and instructed and indeed full of the gospel. Much of modern Pentecostalism is not God-centered and not gospel-centered, and thus the roots and the fruit of it, including its praying for the Spirit, are corrupted, and so will ours be if we are not God and gospel-centered in our thinking and praying. What kind of churches do we need today? And boy, we need them. Oh, they're everywhere, aren't they? You know, I, 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 I pastored the church in the penitentiary, okay, the largest penitentiary in the state of Texas, 20-something years. 
And people used to, you know, had all these religious volunteers. They want to know, what can we do to help there? And I told them, stay home. Don't come in here. We don't need you. With your 12 steps and with your programs and with your this and with your personalities and with your dog and pony shows and with all this stuff, we don't need it. What we need is God. That's what we need. We need God-centered churches. But we must be God-centered people. Churches are made up of individuals. Folks, God's got to get a hold of us. He's got to get a hold of our thinking. We must be oriented to God and to the gospel. Or we'll end up just as screwball. And I don't mean to, you know, I don't mean to offend you. I'm not, as some people that make a big hullabaloo about the Spirit, we'll be just as throwed off as they are. So how? God-centered, gospel-centered? How do we pray? Again, it's in our text. We pray for the Spirit because we need Him. Isn't that what we... Didn't that, you know... Have you, have you struggled with spending time in prayer? Do you, do, do you sometimes? Do you, let, me, let me tell you what I was doing before my wife got leukemia a year ago this month. I was still walking with God, but I'd lost my edge. And boy, I'd struggle with praying, you know? And I'd find it'd be 11 o'clock in the morning, and I put everything in the world above praying. Well, let me tell you something. I don't do that anymore. Boy, leukemia is a rugged, rough disease. And man, you got plenty to pray for. We pray when we need something, don't we? My friend, we need the Holy Spirit. Desperately need Him. Individually, Churches, how do we pray for them? Out of need. I got a feeling that the Laodiceans didn't pray much. And that's because it says they had need of nothing and didn't know that they were poor and blind and wretched and miserable and naked. Oh, if we just knew how needy we were of the Holy Spirit, we'd be praying for the Holy Spirit. Third point. I'll be quick as I can. Actually, second, that was, that was in context, second point of how, with importunity. It's in the text. You know, there's some things I pray. Some of it's kingdom of God stuff, and some of it's my daily bread. And I pray the same thing over and over. And I'm not ashamed to do it. Man, when you need something, this friend at midnight had to have it. So he shamelessly, the Gentile dog woman, you know, uh, the e English Standard Version in Luke 11 uses the word, instead of importunity, it uses the word impotence. And, boy, I had to go look that up again to see if I understood. 
And then I thought of that Gentile dog woman. She was embarrassing the disciples, not the Lord. But the disciples, send her away, send her away. Boy, she's, why did she keep on praying? Because she needed. You need something? Pray till you get it. If you really need it, you're going to do that. If we really need the Holy Spirit, we should pray until God, in whatever way, grants us the Spirit. Thirdly, in a life of obedience that begins but does not end with obeying the command to repent and believe the gospel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey Him. And the first thing you obey is repent and believe. And you don't just do that one time, folks, as Brother was saying. We are to be lifetime repenters and believers. Fourthly, and I want to... Make sure I don't, I'm on my next to last point, so y'all hang with me. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? We pray for him, but how does the Spirit come? Well, I'm not going to limit him, and he could come in a lot of different ways, a lot of different times. But according to Galatians, turn to Galatians 3 real quick. Galatians chapter 3. Beginning with verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you. What does he mean? Well, he's preaching Christ and him crucified, okay? He was preaching, preaching the atonement of Christ, the work of Christ. This only would I learn of you. Look at this. He's arguing against false teachers here. He's arguing against a wrong doctrine, a Judaizing doctrine here. And he's saying, I preach the gospel to you. And here was the thing. He said, this is, this is it. This is the bottom line. One thing I want to know. That we're we're going to cut to the chase here. One thing, he says to the Galatians. Did you receive the Holy Spirit under my preaching as I preached faith? Or did you receive it by the works of the law? Do this and do that. He goes on. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God. And now now the next several verses, he's going to talk about that cardinal doctrine. We say we're reformed. Well, what does it mean? People always say, what does it mean? What does it mean to be reformed? What what, what does it mean to be reformed? Well, I know one thing it means. We believe in the doctrine of justification by faith alone without works. That's the cardinal doctrine. That's the gospel. And it's under the preaching of the gospel that the Holy Spirit moves, that he comes. We need gospel preaching in our churches. Every time we preach, I don't care what passage it is, we ought to be preaching the gospel some way, somehow. 
And our, our churches should be full of gospel preaching because the Holy Spirit comes upon that message. He comes in that doctrine. Have you not found it so? Have you not received the Spirit, whether you were aware that that's what was happening or not? Did you not get grace? Did you not get help? Did you not go away from church when the gospel was preached? And you went away refreshed and renewed and strengthened and helped to go out and live for the Lord? And have you also not had the experience, and hopefully you were kind about it and you mainly prayed about it, when the pastor didn't do much gospel preaching and you sat there and you walked out unrefreshed of course, the other thing could be that he preached the gospel and you just didn't pay no attention. You just didn't listen. You should go to the church meeting and to the preaching of the gospel expecting and praying for the Holy Spirit to come afresh and new into your life and help you. We see uh, an example of this and again, I understand the historical, particular, specific, historical context of Acts chapter 10 and Cornelius. I understand all the implications of that. But again, there's a principle here. Go read it for yourself. 10th, 10th 11th, and 15th chapter of Acts. It talks about the preaching of the gospel to Cornelius. It says, Peter preaches the gospel. And he, he, he's very specific. He says, the word. He's not talking about the Bible. You know, you have all these people who say, I'm a Bible preacher. We're a Bible-believing church. What does the world that mean? Folks, yes, this is the Bible. This is the inerrant, infallible word of God from the first word in Genesis to the last word in Revelation. It's all the iner inerrant, infallible word of God. But I want to tell you, you can believe that till the cows come home and miss the message that that infallible word of God is telling you. That is the gospel. And Peter says the word, that word, and he preaches Christ, and it says in it very, the Holy Spirit is very particular to, to, uh, to say this there in the book of Acts. As he spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius. Again, the principle, you want a spirit-filled church, and we need spirit-filled churches, then we need the gospel. We need gospel-filled churches. And then finally, how do we pray for and receive the Holy Spirit? By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's there in Galatians. We just looked at it, but listen to this scripture. In, that last, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, oh, I wish we could thirst for the Holy Spirit. Surely, if you're a believer, you know something of the Spirit of God. You've had those moments. Oh, maybe they're few and far between. Maybe you don't know much. I don't know much. But I want to tell you, I know something of when God comes. And God quickens. And God renews. And God lifts your heart and your mind up to Christ. 
and I'm thirsty for some more. I need some more. Oh, and everywhere I look, I see need for the Spirit of God to come. And our Lord says, if any man thirst, he doesn't say come to the Holy Spirit. Let him come unto me. You thirsty for God? You thirsty for grace? You thirsty for the Holy Spirit? Are you dull and slow and stupid? Are you more conformed to this world than you'd like to admit? Do you struggle more in mortifying sin than you would like to admit even to yourself, much less to anybody else? Come to Christ. But he doesn't say just come and drink. I think whatever that means, part of it, it means you're sure believing on him, looking to him, worshiping him, but also it must mean praying to him. Lord Jesus, I'm thirsty. Should not churches pray that? I long to see some prayer meetings. I think Reformed Baptists are so scared of Pentecostalism and Charismaticism that we've gone way over the other way. And it's time that we got over that. That's why I said I'm a cessationist. I'm not a Pentecostalist. I'm not a Charismatic. I'm not a continuationist in that sense. But I am a great believer in the Holy Spirit and in our need for him. And our Lord says, come to me. And he goes on and says, this spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. One of the deadliest doctrines that Baptists and perhaps Reformed Baptists, I don't know, have swallowed into is this idea, well, the Holy Spirit's been given and we don't ever need to pray for him again. Mm-mm. That's a deadly doctrine. That's as deadly as, as charismatic error. Oh, we need, well, what do we do? Look to Christ. Believe in him. And pray to him. Pray to the Father. He said, how much more? How much more? How more willing is God to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Are you asking? As a church, I don't know anything about y'all as a church. Are you, are you asking when you come and pray? Are you praying for the Spirit of God to come afresh and anew? you would bow with me in prayer our father we thank you for your willingness to give the holy spirit oh lord we are in need lord i'm in need everywhere i look i see the need of the spirit of god afresh and anew lord we thank you for all your mercies thank you god for all the things you've done for us down through the years all the things you've taught us, all the quickenings, all the upholdings, all the help. But Lord, we need, 
We need the Spirit of God. We need help to mortify sin. We need to be not conformed to this world. And we find ourselves so torn at times. And so influenced, Lord. And we need, we're thirsty, Lord. Will you not send your blessed Spirit of God afresh and anew into our hearts? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.